Welcome back, everybody. This is Encounter with God. And uh, just while we were listening to the news there, Lawson, you had an interesting phone call. Yeah, um, I got a phone call from my mum just then. Um, so, yeah, we're just chilling out here in the studio. The last uh, interview that we listened to was actually a pre-record. It was a very, very heavy interview. It was, it was very heavy. It was talking about, um, you know, abuse that's happened in the in the Catholic Church. And my mum called me up because um, the the priest that was mentioned here um that was the the abuser father tom brennan um was actually the priest at the school that i went to um at, i was in primary uh, at a catholic primary school from years um from kindergarten to year five and it was crazy because like actually i'd left the school like in year five like i would mm. left the school um to go to a school in town because we moved into into you know from lake macquarie um, into um, Newcastle, and a couple months later, he was arrested. Wow! So this is like, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a local story, right? Yeah, here. This, this is very is much a local coming story. Coming straight out of Newcastle. You're, you're, you're a local, uh, a, a local boy, and um, yeah, wow, that's Dude, um, yeah, it's heavy that's, stuff, man. It's very, very heavy stuff, and it's something that you know we need to we need to keep highlighting these issues. We need to keep them out there. Um, we need to keep talking about it because it's as we do so that we shine a light on what is taking place. We educate people mm. and we produce a a safer environment for our children. Yeah, it's really interesting the whole um, like because it's just so messed up and so dangerous. Mm. Um, I remember like you know, I, I everybody sort of knows that it's been going in this day and age anyway. Yeah, that's you know, right. It's, I mean, we have a royal comments. commission. You've got, uh, you know, uh, in the United States, you've got the uh, what's the equivalent of royal commission over there? A um, yeah, whatever it's called. But yeah, there's a lot of yeah. investigation going on it's, into it. Um, it's common knowledge. But I remember the thing. A that grand re- jury. That's the yeah, word that, I'm for. that's it. Grand jury. Um, the thing that really opened my eyes up to it was I watched a movie that come out. Do you, did you see the movie Spotlight? No. Well, th- this movie, um, it's about like where it really started, like the reports coming out. Um, it's actually started in Boston, I'm pretty sure. That's right. Is when they started yes. investigating. And this movie is about the uh, journalism team that sort of followed the rabbit hole and, and found all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was it's just a crazy story. But that sort of opened you know, Charles my eyes Chinicky, up. Into- Charles Chinicky wrote a whole book on this back in the 1800s. Wow. And he was just laughed to scorn as the biggest conspiracy theorist ever. Dude, it's crazy. But now it's just coming to light and, it, and like yeah. you said it's a it's a it's a good thing. Um and I, yeah, I that's think right. that was it is. The, it is. The it's really been good for it's been good for the Catholic Church, it's been good for our church, mm. it's been good for all churches because we've all had to wake up to reality, pull our socks up and take a long mm. hard look at ourselves. Yeah, that's the remar- I think that was a remarkable thing about um, James's interview is that he could sort of make the distinction between a, a group and a and a person. Like he was like, "Look, this is good for the Catholic Church that you're yeah, getting yeah. rid of these people." Like, yeah. um, you know, because that's not we don't want that. You know, we don't want this no, in, in no. our churches. We don't want child abuse. You know, it doesn't matter what your opinion is on different religions or whatever. Um, Look, we we're all you know standing together um, against child abuse, mm. and it's 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 amazing that we're making now such an effort to to root it out and, and weed it out, and and may um, that effort continue, yeah. and grow and strengthen. And uh, yeah, I was at a show yesterday, and there was someone standing outside the show um, with a petition to uh, increase the um, penalties for people who um, who protect child abusers. Say, for instance, Archbishop Philip Wilson. 
mm. who was given six months of uh, Netflix for protecting some of the uh, local pedophile priests up here. And uh, I, I was like, yeah, give me that thing. I will sign that up. I will absolutely sign that petition. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, That's... six months of home detention, detention in his sister's home. You know, it's like, seriously. <laughs> this is messed up. That's there are some messed up, up things in our world. And, and, you know, it's simply because the judicial system does not have the legal framework to be able to deal with what they're dealing with. It's antiquated. It is so out of date. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so wrong. But this is, this is supposed to be encountered with God. Yeah. We're supposed to be doing Bible study. We're supposed study. to be doing a Bible study. <laughs> but that was a heavy interview. Yeah. It's sort of one of those interviews that sort of demands a little bit of um, reflection and debriefing once you sort of, yeah. once you sort of go through it. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. But, and, and really, really appreciate James Miller mm. uh, coming on the show and being prepared to speak about his experience. Yeah. There's a lot of people who, uh, who can't do that. Mm. And he's really, um, yeah, what, what, a, what a guy. What, a, what an amazing guy. Anyway. Getting back to our Bible study for today, we are now in Acts chapter 27 and it is time for me to totally geek out because this is, I love sailing. Yeah. Absolutely oh, You would love get sailing. on with my dad. He loves sailing too. Cool. He's actually won a few sailing championships. Right. This summer we're going sailing together. All right. Cool. Sweet. Um, we've, got to, we've got to organize that day and we're going to get out on Lake Macquarie and do some sailing. All right. Um, but... I love sailing. My whole family loves sailing. Mm-hmm. My dad loves sailing. My my everybody that I know that is a Southwell has a boat. Uh-huh. Um, every ancestor that I have, going all the way back to uh, um, Sir Robert Southwell, who sailed under Sir Francis Drake against the Spanish Armada. No way. That's yeah. every recorded so cool. Every recorded Southwell. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of gaps in there. There's a lot of gaps there. Every recorded Southwell. Yeah, okay. okay. Every Southwell that we have a record of that's in my family line has been a sailor. Okay. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Awesome. And, and on my mother's line, of course, um, it was a Sri Lankan sailor who, uh, who, um, yeah, one of the major ancestors in my mother's line mm. came into Western Australia. Wow. Had That's his awesome. washing done by my great great grandmother, mm. and had a one night stand, and there we are. Hey, here we, had a here great we go. Great suntan ever since. <laughs> <coughs> Best jeans ever. All right, so where are we? We are in um, a sailing story. It was one of the few sailing stories that you find in the Bible, and this one is the best one because it was written by Luke, and Luke was a doctor, and he liked to write lots of details. But he wasn't a sailor because he missed out some of the details that a sailor would put in there. But he was an experienced traveler because he put details in there that a traveler would put in there. Mm-hmm. The great thing about this story is that it, it, it creates so much historical um, credibility for the Bible because of the way it is written. Mm-hmm. When you go through the story... The details that come through are the details of exactly what would happen, exactly what you would expect to happen. It shows um, good seamanship for people who actually understand sailing and the ocean and ocean voyages and have done blue water voyages. As you read through this story, you can see exactly what uh, this makes sense and then that makes sense and then they did this and that's, of course, what you do. These are your, these are your options and, and a, a good seaman is going to do that you know, and it just goes on down through. Mm-hmm. So great story that we've got right here. Why don't you start for us in verse 1? All right, let's go. This is um, Acts 27 and verse 1. We, we, we might take a couple of days to get through this. And by the way, if I geek out too much here, Lawson, and I'm talking about things that uh, if I, it, that goes just like, what? Just 
stop me and see I'll that's put that's, it into I'll put it into land lover language for you all. See, that's the thing though, is that I like it when people geek out because I love acquiring that knowledge. Like uh, I like understanding. I'm the same, so <coughs> maybe it'll be up to our producers or our listeners. If we're geeking out too much, just call us up and say, Look, just talk about the Bible more. <laughs> but anyway, uh continuing on. Yeah, this is Acts twenty seven and verse one. The Bible starts. Um it says when the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aris- Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adoramtium. At a Ramitium. Yeah, I'm going to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, that place. <clears throat> that, that, that goes. Um, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia, it was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. Okay, so if we if we stop and consider that for a moment, um, coastal transport was a big thing in those days when yeah. um, there was no such thing as uh, a compass or anything like that. Uh, the easiest way to navigate was by following the coast. And this was a coastal trading ship that just sort of went from one port to the next to the next and would just buy and sell as it went. Um, So, yeah, anyway, keep going. The next day, when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit his friends so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to the sea from there, we we encountered strong headwinds uh, that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Sicilia, Cilicia, and Pamphylia. Uh, landing in Myra, the proven- province of Lycia. There, the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. Okay, so he's uh, had a bit of a, um, a change of ships right here, and we're going to talk more about this second ship right after this. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So up until this point, Paul has been travelling on a coastal trader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means that they get to stop into a whole bunch of different ports where there are Christians. He has been allowed to go ashore and to minister to the Christians. So he's obviously made a very good impression on the centurion who is guarding him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's given freedom to be able to do so, and that's a really that's a really great and positive thing. Uh, the centurion has a lot of a, a lot of trust in Paul. They've had a hard voyage. So what you'll notice is that they're working their way along the coast. Yeah, but then they get headwinds. One of the things that is the most challenging form of sailing is beating to windward. Yeah. So when you're sailing into a headwind, you can never sail directly into the wind, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so beating to windward is a zigzag course. Yeah. The trading ships of this era were square-rigged sailing ships, and a square-rigged ship does not beat to headward efficiently at all. Yeah. In fact, there are many square-rigged ships that, that they just won't do it. They just refuse to go to, to windward and uh, a broad reach is about the best that you'll ever get out of them. Um, so they've been clawing their way to windward and because of that they leave the coast and they cross the sea to the north of Cyprus um, and you know because it's just it's just too hard going to windward. You know, here in Australia even across the, uh, the, the south of our continent you have the Roaring Forties. Mm-hmm. And of course living in Tasmania the Roaring Forties used to you know, just roar through Tasmania. It's, and it's a wind that just constantly blows from the west at about 40 knots. It's just yeah. a constant, constant 
constant wind uh, around there. And you would have square rigged ships in the early early days of, of uh, you know, Australia who would be trying to get from, say, Hobart or Sydney across to Perth and they would be beat, beating to windward, um, heading that direction, trying to get, you know, across the, Strait of Gra- the Great Australian Bight and just give up and sail went around the world. They just, <laughs> just sail before the wind, sail all the way around the world. It was quicker, a quicker way to get to Perth. Wow. Yeah, so beating to windward, that's tough. And this is why they've left the coast, they've um, struck out across uh, the north of Cyprus, and they've taken the route that they have. So this is, this is very, very typical of what you would find and what you expect in you know, a, a story of this era when, uh, when these ships um, you know, were being built. Then we find that they join a new ship. Mm. This one is a ship from Alexandria, so she's an Egyptian. She's an Egyptian ship. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a grain ship. We find out, and these were quite large um, ocean-going vessels. And so, it's probably at this point worthwhile just considering what a a, a first-century trading ship actually looked like, because it will help us to understand and picture in our minds what is taking place in the story. Okay, so the first thing that you'll notice about um, uh, a, first, a first century trader was that she would be double-ended. Mm-hmm. This is great for, um, it makes it a great sea, a seagoing vessel because it will split the waves equally at its stern as at the bow, the front and the back. Yep. Um, great for running before the wind because if you've got a following sea, it will split the following sea rather than, you know, and, and it will stop it from trying to, uh, to yaw so much. Um, the shear or the contour of the top sides was straight in the middle and curved high at both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, the, stem post, the stem and the stern posts were carved, uh, cur- sorry, curved high, and they'd have a carved um, image of them of, you know, some god or a woman or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that sort of stayed with ships for many, many years. Um, and the bulwarks were um, open rails. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically this is the fence uh, above the upper deck where typically these days, you know, you'd have the scuppers at the bottom. These were just open rails so that the water could, could wash straight off the uh, top of the deck. They would often have galleys at either end. So the galley is the kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, the large ships, and they'd have one at either end. Um, from from drawings and inscriptions, we know that they would have a, a large capstan with a hawser um, that was used to haul up the anchor chains and the anchor cables. And they did not have a rudder. Oh, wow. So they were a double-ended ship with no rudder. What they had in place of a rudder was two steering oars on oh, either side. Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I've seen these ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. Man. Yeah, so the ones that we normally associate with this era of course are the uh are the naval ships mm-hmm. and of course they were you know double-ended as well with the two steering oars on either side they would have you know banks of rowers um and of course in the bow they'd have a very large ram yeah uh, so a trading ship wouldn't have that ram she would curve the opposite direction um so that's probably the most and, and less oars yeah uh, these weren't these weren't um weren't rowing ships mm-hmm Okay, so the two uh, the two steering rudders or, or steering oars um, they'd be operated by a uh, um, a beam that went from one side of the ship to the other, mm-hmm. um, ran through um, two horse holes that were also used for when you were anchoring from the stern. Yeah. Um, now these were big ships, dude. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, there's 250 passengers on this ship if we count for 276 souls. We'll find further on in the passage. Mm. Oh man, that's that's a big ship. That's a big that's ship a plus 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 the merchandise. Yeah, and uh, Josephus. Um, who was a historian of the first century, records travelling on one of these grain ships where there were 600 people aboard. So we're looking at ships of around about 1,000 tonnes burden. Dude, that, that's a that's big a ship, ship for 2,000 years ago. That's a real, that's a real well, this ship. Well, is this is what's interesting. In the Roman era, in the first century, there was more shipping on the Mediterranean and travel on the Mediterranean was easier than any period from then all the way through until the 1800s. Well, how come? The Dark Ages, or the Dark Ages. Oh, yeah. There's true. a reason why it's called the Dark Ages. Yeah. You know, <laughs> civilization went backwards yeah. for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And trade across the Mediterranean dropped off. Conflict rose. There was a lot of warfare. Um, even even shipping technology wasn't that great during the Dark Ages. Mm-hmm. It was very, very backwards, you'll find. Um, they had some absolutely brilliant uh, engineers back in the day, you know, in the Roman era. Okay, so for sailing, um, she would have one main mast. It was not a very tall mast, but at the top of that mast, there would be a very long yard, mm-hmm. which could be almost as long as the ship itself. Yeah, wow. So you had a f- relatively short mast and a very, very long yard um, on which you would furl your square sail. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'd she'd have basically just one large square sail. Mm-hmm. Now um, above that, they would often have a smaller topsail. Yeah, um, and then a small foremast. Which the, the foremast could either be a foremast or a um, a bowsprit at a very steep angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I am I am I just geeking out too much? Dude, here? you're geeking out so <laughs> no, hard. Right but you've got to you've got to build a picture of what's going on here because it's this picture that. Um, that brings the story to life further on because mm-hmm. it explains what there's so much in this story that if you don't know what a first century trading ship looks like, you can read it and it just it's like yeah whatever. But when you know what the ship looks like, you can actually see what is taking place. You can see what the sailors are trying to do, what they're actually trying to accomplish, mm. and how they and how they accomplish what they are actually accomplishing. Um, so yeah, on the on the on the small foremast, you'd have a um, a square sail called an atamon. Mm-hmm. And the Atawan is mentioned in this story. Yeah, wow. And if you don't know uh, what that's all about, it's like, you know. Um, and you could also rig small triangular sails um, that were used for steering and tacking um, and wearing or use them as uh, um, storm sails. Yeah. So that's what, that's the, this is the kind of ship that we're looking at. Okay. So it's a big grain ship. And uh, what we're going to find out as we go through the story is that this ship was a very old ship. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd been at sea for a lot of years and she was not in good condition. But mm-hmm. she did have a good crew. Yeah. A crew, they, they knew their stuff. All right, let's, let's read a few more verses. All right, continuing on, um, we are in verse 7. The Bible says, We had several days of slow sailing and after great difficulty, uh, we finally neared Snidus. I'm gonna. That's how I'm going to pronounce that. Um, but the wind was against us, so we sailed across Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Simone? Simone? Salmone. Salmone. Yeah, okay, so once again you find that they've got a hard beat to windward. Mm-hmm. Pretty much ever since they left the coast of Asia, they have been beating to windward and so they've uh, moved into the shelter of Cyprus. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Crete, sorry, not Cyprus. We, Crete was earlier. And uh, yeah, okay. Give us another verse there. All right. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fairhaven near the town of Lycia. Okay, so Fairhaven's was a harbour. It is called Fairhaven's, but it is not very fair. Okay. If you actually look at it on a map, it's like, yeah, this is a fairly open harbour. There's harbour. There is not a lot of shelter here. This is <laughs> this is not really a great place. It's okay. It's it's okay. It's a pass. But we're going to come back to the story. Uh, Sandra Enterman, let the lower lights be burning. i 
Welcome back, guys. That was Sandra Enderman with Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. What a great theme when we're talking about sailing. Okay, so Paul is um, uh, is, is anchored up in the um, in the port of Fair Havens, which is not fair. Okay. It's not a great haven. It's not not the best. No. Yes, yeah. Look it up on uh, look it up on Google Maps, and you'll like. Yeah, okay. There's shelter there, but there are certain directions from which you will get absolutely no shelter if you are anchored there, which is fine for a, a period of time. You know, if the wind changes and comes in from a different quarter, then you can uh, sail away. Mm-hmm. But what we find out as we go through the story that it's actually very late in the season. They need to. Um, actually moor their ship for the winter. Yeah. So it's very, very late in the sailing season, and mm-hmm. this is not a, a great place to be moored up for the winter, particularly with an old ship. If she was, if she was a new ship, mm. yeah, it might be, it might be feasible. It. You might yeah. get away with it. Um, but, you know, being moored, you know, in the raw basically is never fun for anybody, and, and it's always a great risk. Yeah. Particularly when you've got, you know, say three months that you need to um, – to have your ship moored up there, so um, yeah, so is it they're they're in a bit of a tight spot. It's like, do they stay there or do they move on? All right, keep reading for us there, Lawson. All right, we're continuing on in Acts twenty-seven and verse nine. The Bible says, "We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall or autumn." Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul spoke to the ship. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a very American yeah, translation yeah, yeah, here, yeah. and you can tell Americans translated this. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Why is it that Paul is giving advice here? Is Paul a sailor? I don't think so. Is he? Paul is not a sailor. He's not a sailor. (laughs) He is not a sailor. However, he is incredibly well-traveled. Mm-hmm. He spent his lifetime as a missionary mm-hmm. traveling all over the Mediterranean. He knows the Mediterranean very, very well. He speaks about it in another place, you know, because there's, there's, this is the story of, of, of um, Paul's shipwreck, but he talks about another place where he was actually shipwrecked three times. Yeah, wow. So, you know, this is, this is you know, and you can imagine at this point, he's been shipwrecked twice already. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that one of those shipwrecks, he spent a whole day and a whole night in the sea. Dude, he does like not want to go. Water, he's, man, like, that's he's like crazy. does not want to go back there again. You know, this guy is a survivor. Uh, this is the kind of thing that you'd make a movie out of. You know, yeah. And you just sort of get these these, these tantalizing little uh, glimpses here of, of what it is that's actually happening. And uh, yeah, it's like he, he he's like, yeah, I know what's going on here. I can see this weather. I know how these weather patterns work. Uh, we're better off to stay here. Anyway, keep going. All right, we pick it up in verse 11. The Bible says, But the officers in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only southwest and northwest exposure. Yeah, and, and if you look at the harbour of Phoenix, you've got opportunity to be able to move your ship, even with your uh, southwest and northwest exposure. You can, you can move your ship into sheltered water, mm-hmm. and as the weather changes, and um, you can understand why a lot of the crew would want to go up there. Um, there is, um, it's not that far away. You know, uh, one or two days sailing, you're going to be there, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, the owner of the ship 
is on the ship. It's never really a great thing when the owner of the ship is sailing with the ship mm-hmm. because he has a very different priority to the sailors. <laughs> you know, his priority is to make money, whereas the sailor's priority is to... Stay alive. Stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> much more so about staying alive than making money. But he's sailing. He owns this ship. He's sailing with this ship. He has valuable cargo on this ship that, you know, there's the possibility of loss if they stay in fair havens and a big, uh, a big southerly comes up. And mm. uh, and just smashes them because it is a fairly exposed harbour, you know. It's it's got shelter. It's got good shelter from the north. It's got good shelter all the way around to the west. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, it's got basically nothing. Yeah. Anyway, so Paul is like, nah, we're better off to stay, take our chances here. And the owner um, and the others are like, yeah, nah, let's go up to Phoenix. There's a really nice harbour up there. We can winter there. Okay. Keep going. All right, continuing on in verse 13, the Bible says, when a, when a light began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it, but they pulled up anchor and sailed across to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and the wind of a typhoon, of typhoon strength called a northeaster or a nor'easter uh, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. Uh, stop there for a moment. Okay, so if you can picture the island of Crete, you're on the south side of the island of mm-hmm. Crete, you're in a fairly exposed area. When this southerly comes up, they're actually exposed to the southerly, but that's a good thing if you want to sail out of the harbour. Yeah. You don't need to get towed out or anything like that. You can just you know raise a few sails, um, edge your way out of the harbour. This is a southerly. It's a light wind. It's coming up off Egypt, so it's going to be dry and warm. Mm-hmm. So nice sailing conditions. Everybody looks at it and like, this is really, really nice conditions. Paul looks at it and goes, yeah, I've seen this weather before. And to this day, um, a light southerly off Egypt in the Mediterranean can be uh, can be a precedent to uh, to what, exactly what we've got here in Nor'easter that can just blow for weeks. Yeah, wow. It can it can back into the northeast in uh, in the space of hours. And, and blow for weeks. And, of course, we can see that, you know, on satellite images today mm-hmm. with weather forecasting. We know when that's going to take place. This had probably happened to Paul and Luke on numerous occasions before. They'd seen this weather phenomena. Uh, the captain and, and, and sailors obviously would have been familiar with it. But at the same time, you know, maybe it won't. Yeah, you know, maybe it isn't that particular, and we'll make money, pa- and maybe, <laughs> and maybe we'll be able to get up to Phoenix, where it will be really comfortable to spend yeah. the winter. You know, nobody wants to spend the winter on a boat that is just moored right out in the in the open, in the raw, and is just getting, you know, smashed every day. But anyway, mm. all right, so they're blown out to sea. All right, continuing on in verse fifteen, the Bible says the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Now, this is an interesting little statement right here, um, and we're going to find that translators of the Bible are not always, uh, let me say, let me say, expert seamen. Mm-hmm. And so some of the, you know, as they're struggling with the Greek, sometimes some of the translations that they come up with um, aren't necessarily always that great. So they're in a Norwest- nor'easter, um, and... Uh, they're, they're blown out to sea. The Bible describes it as being of typhoon strength. Mm-hmm. So this is that's this is pretty strong. That's a that's a legit storm. Yeah, this is not much fun. 
and this is exactly what Paul had predicted. All right, let's just, just keep reading a little bit more and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll show you some interesting stuff here. What's interesting is that this happens a very short time after they leave the harbour. Uh, oh, man, we're running out of time. This is such an awesome story. <laughs> How can that be possible? <laughs> it's annoying me. All right, keep going. All right, we're going to read the next verse. In verse 16, the Bible says, We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named uh, Kauda, and uh, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. All right, so basically what happens is when a big storm like this comes up, you've got to prepare the ship to be snug, basically, to ride mm-hmm. out the storm. You can't really effectively navigate in this kind of weather. Yeah. Your, your one option is that you need to ride out the storm, and that's going to involve, you know, battening down the hatches, tying everything down that will move, strengthening the ship, um, and basically putting the ship in a position to be able to do so. You've got two options. You can either run before it or heave to, and we're going to be back tomorrow to find out which one of those two options they choose to take and what is the result.
You've heard his music on the radio before. Oh, Holy Spirit, guide my heart, I pray. His song, Never Let Go, was featured on Rima's Ozday Countdown. I will never let go. Grego Pile is an accomplished musician and gospel singer, and he is holding a charity concert right here in the Newcastle region. Free entry, but an offering will be collected for those affected by the drought. Come along to the Bullaroo Adventist Church at 6pm September 26. For inquiries, call 0435-077-752. They're living far longer and far happier than most people in the world. And now, their secret's out. Six regions have been identified as blue zones, places where people experience holistic health. And it's doing them a lot of favors. So do yourself a favor and come along to the free Rethink Health workshops where we will explore six core principles of health and longevity proven through the Blue Zones at the Swansea Center Sunday, October 7, October 14, and October 21st. From 5 p.m. is where you'll find us. For more information, call 0402-528-869 or search for the Rethink Health event on Facebook.
Welcome back, guys. You were listening to Marion Blythe Peppers with I Heard the Voice of Jesus here on Faith FM. We have come to that part of the show where we answer your questions. Don't forget, if you have a question, send it through. Our number is 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669 and we will make your question the question of the day. But we have a question that has come through. Hard one today, Lawson. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is this is one that I don't really know much I, about. I was going to say, I'm going to ask I, I, you. You can answer this one. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so the question of the day is, what is Urim and Thummim? Okay, so we do get some obscure questions here at times, and uh, this is definitely obscure. Yeah. Probably a lot of you, a lot of you as our listeners have not heard of the Urim and the Thummim. Okay, the Urim and the Thummim were two stones. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The high priest had very special clothes that were different from all of the other priests. A part of those clothes was a breastplate. Mm-hmm. Now, on that breastplate, there were 12 stones, one symbolizing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Then on the right and on the left, you had two more stones. One of them was called the Urim or the light, and the other one was called the Thummim or the curses. So the light or the curses. This is the, this is the two uh, options that you have between these two stones. And these two stones were an integral part of the theocracy. So this was a theocracy. It was government by God. Okay, And it was one of the ways, because when you have government by God, you obviously have to have a direct means of communication from God to his nation. And it was one of the ways that God would communicate. Let me give you an example of this. If you go to Numbers chapter 27, this is a story of uh, Joshua. Okay, so Joshua became the leader of God's people after Moses. And of course, the great general who conquered the promised land. Um, if we go down to verse 21, well, let's start in verse 20. You shall put some of your honor upon him and all the congregation and the children of Israel may, uh, may be obedient. He shall stand before Elias the priest. He shall ask counsel for him. That's the priest will ask counsel for him, Joshua. After the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. Okay, so, there, so Joshua is to stand before the priest and ask judgment of the Lord from uh, the Urim. Mm-hmm. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel, uh, even with all the congregation. Now, when it talks about you know the people going out and coming in at his word, and he is giving his word based on the Urim and the Thummim, this is actually a reference of going out to war or coming back from war. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that we often get asked is, the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill... And yet God would send his people to war. It's a very simple answer. It's probably for a lo- uh, another question for a day, but another day. God is the only one who has the right to choose when a person dies and when a person lives. Mm-hmm. We don't get to make that choice. And if God makes that choice, then it is God doing the killing through, you know, some God kill, kills in many different ways, uh, but he is the one who has the right to make that choice. We never can. Now we're doing for time there. Okay. So the Urim and the Thummim was a very important part of the theocracy. It was a way that uh, God communicated with his people. If we go over to 1 Samuel chapter 28, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, we have another reference to it over here. This is the story of Saul and the witch of Endor. And, of course, he was about to go into battle. And if we go down to verse 6, 1 Samuel 28 and verse, where did verse 6 go? Here it is. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, The Lord did not answer him, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. Mm -hmm. And so this is how God would communicate with his people. And uh, at this particular time, Saul panicked um, in a very large way. Very simply, it worked like this. 
If there was a positive answer, the urim would have a halo of light. Wow. If there was a negative answer, the thummim would have a cloudy color to it. And so these stones would change color. This was how God would communicate with his people um, and uh, be able to give them instruction, particularly you know, in uh, relationship to warfare, in relationship to judgment, um, all these kinds of issues. So there's something new for you, Lawson. Well, there that's you go. Today, the Urim and the Thummim. Dude, stoked. Um, yeah. uh, that, I can add that to my, my pile of Bible knowledge um, that I have, uh, have amassed of uh, working for the last you know, one and a half years, but... Dude, awesome. I love it. And so essentially God had three ways that he would communicate directly. Oh, there was a few other ones as well, like the fleece and so forth. But you had the Urim and the Thummim. You had the prophet, the local prophet, who was usually one of them alive at a, at a given point of time. And God could communicate directly to the king by you know, dreams and visions and so forth. Anyway, we need to move on with the show today. And we are going to listen to Vocal Union. Jesus climbed the hill of Calvary And they nailed him on a cross Though he had no sin, my friend, like me and you He submitted like a gentleman And let them nail him there and prayed Forgive them, for they know not what they do Such a meeting place as Calvary There never was a greater lesson Preached on love by mortal man And there never was a pulpit like the cross What a crowd was gathered on the hill of Calvary Calvary. There never was a 
take the cross. As you sit and pray in comfort and in finery adorned, without a thought of shame, regret, or loss, just think of Jesus on that hill in pain too awful to be born. And remember that old pulpit called a cross. Oh, there never was a pulpit like the old rugged cross. And there never was such a meeting place as Calvary. There never was a greater lesson preached on love by mortal man. And there never was a pulpit like the cross. No, there never was a pulpit like the You were listening to Vocal Union. There never was a pulpit like the cross here on Faith FM. This is The Breakfast Show. We are about to give something away. Get ready to call. It is coming free. You don't have to answer a question. You don't have to sort out the quiz or anything otherwise. But before we do, I just wanted to say that we have been telling you if you are in an area that gets the delayed broadcast, in other words, if you are somewhere in the world and it is not Monday the 24th of September, that means that you are um, listening to the delayed broadcast, then get on to Faith FM and lobby these guys and see if you can get the live show. And a bunch of people obviously have, so we have some mm. welcomes to do. A bunch of uh, new stations that are getting the live show today, a bunch of them in Queensland, so Bribey Island, Caboolture, Caloundra, Deception Bay, uh, Landsborough and Nambour. Welcome to the live show this hey. morning. And, of course, down in Victoria, we have Lara, Norlane and Ocean Grove. Once again, welcome to the live show for you guys. So if you are getting the delayed broadcast, you know who to contact. Contact Faith FM, give them a hard time, and you might be able to get the live show as well. What are we giving away today, Lawson? We are giving away a book. Cool. This is a book um, called Help in Daily Living. Ah, And it's just just epic. Um, If you feel like your life is being shipwrecked, like Paul was shipwrecked, or if your life is in a storm, like where we left Paul in our encounter with God, um, definitely a book for you. Go ahead. Yeah, it just um, it's it's just such an awesome book. Um, you know, do you want to have longer lasting relationships, a genu- genuine godly character, and a practical everyday faith that fills um, that that fills your life and the lives of those around you? Um, then this book is is what you need to read. And I can honestly say, you know, reading um, the author here, Ellen G. White, um, one of the most translated authors female authors in history um it's just a powerful book and it'll really help you but yeah we're wrapping up the show today um thanks for tuning in